Lord Jesus, it is amazing indeed that even though you were God and our maker, you were willing to die for us. Lord, help us to hear that good news and receive it. And Lord, we pray also that it would change us. Lord, as we come to look at what you have to say to us in the Bible, we ask that you would help us to hear that too. And use the words of my mouth and the thoughts in our minds and hearts to help us draw closer to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I have a friend who works at a university, and several years ago they were interviewing candidates for a teaching position that they had open there, and one of the candidates, as soon as he got off the plane, looked at the dean and said, if you hire me, I'll put your university on the map for you. He did not get the job. Now, that's kind of an extreme example, but that kind of posturing is very much a part of the world that we live in. I think especially here on the east side where we feel all this pressure to pretend to be perfect, pretend to have it all together. We feel pressure to pretend that we have every skill you could ever imagine. Pretend that our marriages are perfect, that our careers are perfect. Pretend that our kids are perfect. I find that one particularly challenging. (laughs) And even in the church, unfortunately, I think we feel pressure to pretend that we're better than we really are, that we don't struggle, that we've got it all together. And so as you've heard me say in the past, the east side to me reminds me of a duck pond. On the surface, everyone just looks to be gliding along, but underneath, everyone is paddling madly just to keep up. But I think Jesus invites us into a different kind of life. I think Jesus invites us into a paradoxical, upside-down kingdom where we don't have to boast and brag about our strengths and our accomplishments. An upside-down kingdom where we don't have to feel shame or fear about our weaknesses, but where we can actually admit our weaknesses and have God be strong through those weaknesses. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul, at one point in a book called 2 Corinthians, is having problems with his church at Corinth. And he started that church, but then... Some other apostles came along, they called themselves super apostles. Literally, that's what they called themselves, super apostles. I don't know what that means. And they said that Paul was really kind of a second-rate preacher. That he wasn't a very good speaker, he didn't do very many miracles, he wasn't very good-looking. And Paul had to defend his ministry against these charges. But he does it in an odd way, and I want to read that to you out of 2 Corinthians. This is Paul's defense. It says, five times I've received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides these other things, I am under daily pressures because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. It is necessary to boast, nothing is to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord." I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise 
and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Therefore, because of all these revelations that he just talked about, therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. It's an odd defense to the charge that he's an inferior apostle. He starts talking about all of his weaknesses, all of his failures. He says, I've been beaten, I've been put in prison, I've been shipwrecked, which the super apostle said were signs that God wasn't with him. Because he had all these problems. Instead of having all these problems. Besides that, I've got this thorn in my flesh. Nobody knows what that was. Maybe it was a physical ailment. Maybe it was some kind of reoccurring temptation. Some people say it was all the church people he had to put up with. We don't know. But he asked God to take it away. and, And instead, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my power is made perfect. So Paul goes on to say, well, then I'm going to brag about my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. It is an odd way to defend himself against the charges of being a second-rate preacher. I mean, if a group of elders were to come to me and say, you know, Scott, we don't think you're doing a very good job here. And I was to say, yes, I am. I mean, the attendance is down. We've got a budget deficit. Tons of people are mad. And besides that, God doesn't listen to my prayers. I'm a great pastor. They think that was weird. By the way, none of those things are true. Everything is fine. When Paul has to defend himself, he doesn't say to the Corinthians, you make me your apostle and I'll put you in the New Testament. You'll be famous. Instead, he admits that he has some weaknesses. But in the middle of those weaknesses, Jesus is strong. How can that be? How can it be that when we are weak, then we are strong? Three ways. And the first is this. When we are weak, then we are strong because God has a habit of working through our weaknesses. Ever notice that? In Paul's case, all the times that he ended up in prison or shipwrecked or something, it always just ended up with him converting some jailer or helping some person find Jesus. His supposed weakness, his supposed failures, became the way that God used him. God can work through our weaknesses, sometimes even better than our strengths. Sometimes, for instance, there's a hidden strength inside of our weaknesses. For instance, I'm a people pleaser. That's a weakness, especially if you're a leader. However, sometimes there's a hidden strength in there because a lot of times I will look for the win-win situation because I don't want to make anyone mad. I mean, sometimes I'll look a long time. There's got to be a win-win in here somewhere. And in those cases, my weakness is sort of a flip side of a strength. But I think the real way that God uses our weaknesses is they make us approachable. And they make us role models for other people who are struggling with some kind of weakness. Now think about it. If you've got a problem, you don't want to go to someone who's perfect, do you? Perfect people are irritating, right? You don't want to talk to a perfect person. 
If you've got a problem, you want to go talk to someone who you know is struggling, maybe in the same area you are, and, and maybe someone who's just one or two steps ahead, someone who's figured out some stuff and can help you along, but someone you know who struggles. A few years back, I was counseling a student through a difficult breakup that he was going through, and at the end of the conversation, he said to me, Scott, when it comes to talking about messed up relationships, you're the man, because you've had so many. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel deeply affirmed and valuable as a human being. My weaknesses made me approachable. But because I'd worked through a lot of messed up relationships, I also had something to offer him to help him out. AA has figured this out perfectly, right? The best person to help an alcoholic is a recovered alcoholic. Our weaknesses make us strong because often God can use them even more than our strengths. Second way that we're strong in our weakness is that when God does work through us, he gets the credit. Because it's not about our strength, it's about him working through us. That's why Paul talks about his weaknesses all the time. He says, he's always saying, I used to murder people. And the very fact that God can use him to help other people and help people find Jesus is proof that it's God that's doing it. Right? Not Paul, because Paul doesn't have anything to offer on his own. I think the growth that this church has experienced in the last 50 years is a great example of this principle. You know, 50 years ago, this church started meeting at a funeral home. Okay, that's not a good sign, right? Funeral home, not a good sign. The choir used to rehearse in the coffin room. The choir director used to come in on Sundays and say, boy, it sure is dead in here, isn't it? You know, I've been to a lot of seminars where they... Talk about how to make your church grow. Never once have I heard someone say, if you want to add life to your church, meet in a funeral home. Words that have never been spoken in the English language. So the fact that this church grew and prospered, I think, shows that it was God. Because it sure wasn't us. I mean, we were good, but we weren't that good. It was God. Now, personally, I find this principle very comforting. Because, you know, I don't exactly fit the profile of a highly successful pastor. I'm too young, I'm too shy, I'm too inexperienced, I don't have enough hair. Think about it, every great pastor you know has hair, don't they? Billy Graham, hair, right? Dick Leon, pretty good on the hair thing, right? But you know what, I actually think that there's something kind of cool about that. Because it means if anything good happens in this church, everyone's going to know it's God, because it sure isn't that pastor guy, right? In another part of the Bible, Paul says that we are like earthen vessels and we have Jesus inside of us. Do you know what he means by earthen vessel? Cracked pots. We are all cracked pots. And some of us more than others. But Jesus shines through the cracks. Our weaknesses make us strong because God can use them. And when he does, he gets the credit. We don't. And finally... Our weaknesses, and our weaknesses were strong because our weaknesses drive us to Jesus. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. All those shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments, those aren't signs that God was mad or that God wasn't with him. Those were things that drove him closer and closer to Jesus. During my first phone interview with the search committee that brought me here, one of the questions they asked me, they said, you know, we're a big church. And you're pretty young and you don't have any experience. Are you ready for this job? And I said, not so much, no. 
But maybe that's a good thing. I mean, after all, what that would mean is I'd be scared all the time, and so I'd be on my knees constantly, day after day. And, and wouldn't you want a pastor who doesn't know what he's doing? Because that's a pastor that has to keep going back to Jesus and hanging on to Jesus. I thought that was a great answer. <laughs> Theoretically. Because I never thought they'd give me the job, right? I was too young. I was too inexperienced. What kind of a fool committee hires a pastor like that, right? So I thought I was scot-free, never have to put it into practice. So when they actually offered me the job, I panicked. And I spent several days praying about the decision. And at one point, I called Gary King, who was the chair of that search committee. And I said, Gary, did anyone tell you that I'm too inexperienced and too weak-willed to do this job? And he said, oh, yeah, lots of people told us that. You're covered. We know that. So then I called a mentor of mine looking for some reassurance. And the mentor said, I don't think you can do this job, Scott. I think it'll probably kill you. Very encouraging. That was his gift. But then he said, it'll be the best thing for you, though, because it'll teach you to hold on to Jesus with both hands. And it has. And I am grateful for that because Jesus is always there every time. He has never failed me yet. When we are weak, then we are strong. Because God works through our weaknesses. And when he does, he gets the credit for it. We don't. And our weaknesses force us to lean on Jesus. Now, does this mean that we just revel in our weaknesses? That we sort of celebrate them all the time? Kind of turn the church into some sloppy 1970s Northern California group encounter thing? You know, hey man, I'm just so weak. Cool. Some of you were there, I can tell. <laughs> That's not what we do, because we are not defined by our disease, we're defined by our cure. The church is a car repair shop. Yeah, we get beat up and bruised, we got some things wrong with us, but when we come here, we, we connect with Jesus, and that makes us better, and then we can go back out into the world. We share our weaknesses so that we can overcome them. And also, the point here is not to go out and try to be weak. You know, let's go be wimps for Jesus. Yeah. You know, that was Nietzsche's great complaint about Christianity, that it was just a religion that weak people invented to keep strong people down, you know, to keep them from becoming supermen. Ubermensch is what he called them in German. You know, no, that's not the case. Jesus is not trying to squelch your inner Ubermensch or keep you from becoming the Uberfraulein you were meant to be. God gives us strengths and gifts and skills, and we, sh we should celebrate those and use them. But the point here is that we don't have to feel ashamed or fearful about our weaknesses or hide them or pretend they don't exist. We can admit them and let God work through them. We spend so much of our lives trying to hide all of our weaknesses, terrified that someone is going to find out. Someone is going to find out that we're a fraud. Someone is going to find out about the broken marriage, or the financial problems, or our failures, or our fears, or our insecurities, or our addictions. And all of that hiding is exhausting, isn't it? Do you trust, do you believe that you can take off the mask and stop pretending and let God be strong in your weakness. I always say that everything I learned about being a pastor, I did not learn in seminary. I learned through my divorce. Because that moment of weakness, God didn't cause it, God didn't want it, but he used it. It was a tool in his hands to mold me to be the person that he wanted me to be. 
to teach me to lean on him and to show me how to have compassion for other people in pain. Do you believe, do you believe that you don't have to hide and pretend anymore? But that God can use even your weaknesses for his glory and can use even your weaknesses to help other people. You know, maybe as you've been listening all fall to our talk about Jubilee and how we want to turn outward and do acts of service that show our community the real Jesus, maybe you think, you know what, I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. Or maybe you hear about the opportunity at Stevenson and you think, you know, I can't do that. I don't have enough time. I don't have the skills. I'm afraid. But you know what? Sometimes it's what we don't have that is our greatest asset. Maybe if you lack time, maybe that will make you creative. Maybe you want to serve, but you don't have enough time. It will make you creative. Maybe you'll be the person who will make that phone call to that child and get them out of bed in the morning while you're eating breakfast or driving to work. Or maybe your lack of time means that you'll just keep doing what you're already doing, only do it a little differently. You'll still go to the office, but now you're going to listen to the coworker when he's upset about something or has a need. Or, or you'll, you're going to be making dinner, and this time you'll, you'll make a double batch for the neighbors. Something that the coworker or the neighbor may need, but something you might not have done if you had all the time in the world to do something else. Maybe you have a learning disability. Do you know how powerful that could be if you were to help tutor a student with a learning disability? Maybe you think there's nothing I could do on that work day at Stevenson. There's going to be stuff for everyone to do, from littlest kids to grandparents and everything in between, but maybe you still feel like you don't really have anything to offer there. Well, just come along and make sandwiches or just hang out and make the whole thing a big party. Your lack of ability could be the best part about you. And sometimes it's our weaknesses that God can use the most. I have a friend who goes to a church in Arkansas. And he knows a couple there who each had children from a previous marriage. And some of you have heard me talk about these people in other contexts. And they got married to each other and created this blended family, and it was a disaster. I mean, they were always fighting. They couldn't communicate. They practically hated each other. They, They called themselves the Brady Bunch from hell. And in the middle of this, they sort of felt God nudging them to do some kind of service. So they figured their misery was their mission, right? So they started a group for people with bad marriages in the church. And they brought in teachers and counselors and, what do you know, their marriage got better along the way. But also other people's marriages got better. You see, in their weakness, God was strong. It was what they didn't have that was their greatest asset because they didn't hide it. They allowed God to use it as a tool in their lives and use it for good in other people's lives. And their weaknesses made them approachable. It drew him to God, and God got the credit for it all. When we are weak, then we are strong. This is the amazing paradox of Jesus. He takes something that seems weak and shameful and useless, and he turns it into something beautiful and hopeful and strong. And the best example we have of this, the best example we have of this, is that old rugged cross. Because it was nothing but weakness, right? Jesus was crucified. God himself was put to death by his own creation. How weak is that? But of course it proved to be the strongest thing ever. Because Jesus ra- God raised Jesus from the dead. And the cross shows us how much God loves us. And this thing that was meant to be the ultimate defeat turned into the ultimate victory. When we are weak, then we are strong. A friend of mine who lives in Honolulu told me a story that he says is true, that he read in the newspaper. Even if it's not, it makes a good parable. 
about a 10-year-old boy in Hawaii who got in a car wreck and lost his left arm. And after he healed, he wanted to learn judo. And his parents weren't quite sure about that, but they figured, what's the harm? So they found him a judo teacher. And the teacher said, I just want you to learn one move. We're just going to work on one move. And they worked on this one move for over a year, for a long time. And eventually the teacher said to the little boy, you know what, you've almost perfected this move, so it's time for you to enter uh, enter into a competition. And the boy said, that's impossible. I don't have a left arm. I only have one move. How am I going to compete? And the teacher said, well, let's just see what happens. Let's just give it a try. So the boy entered a local competition, and he won the match in his age division. And after the match, the boy asked his teacher, he said, how is this possible? How was I able to win this match when I only know one move and I don't have a left arm? And the judo teacher said, that's easy. The one move you mastered is one of the most difficult moves in all of judo. The only defense to which involves your opponent grabbing your left arm. Sometimes it's what you don't have that's the best thing about you, right? So what is it for you? What is it that you don't have that you think you ought to? Money, education, a perfect marriage, a job, a job you deserve, good looks, status, confidence. Where is it that you feel weak? The good news is that in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, where you are weak, there God is strong. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter how dirty your uniform is from the game of life. The good news of Jesus is that in your weakness you are known, you are loved, you are accepted, and God can use even your weakness for his glory and for other people's good. And you don't have to be perfect, and you don't have to have it all together All you have to do is hang on to Jesus with both hands. And that's something all of us can do. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing promise that you don't look at us when we're weak and and feeling vulnerable and, and think less of us, Lord, but that you enter our lives and you take even our weaknesses and use them for good. Thank you for that amazing thing that you do. Lord, help us to trust that. Help us to give our lives, our whole lives, our strengths, our skills, and our weaknesses And watch you work through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.